Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Publicist Speaks. Today I'm here with Paul Myers, a man of many talents. But today we're here to talk about Power Pop. Paul is one of the editors and a contributor to the recently released collection, Go All the Way, a literary appreciation of Power Pop. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So I'm really excited to have you on here. We've been doing a couple of other episodes with other contributors, and they've been talking, and it's been super exciting and super well-received, but you are one of the sources. You helped create this whole thing. So tell me, where did this idea come from? Well, actually, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's actually mentioned at the beginning of the book. There's a little intro, but I'll tell the story for the listener. Uh, I, I had contributed to uh, – Tyson had asked me at Rare Bird, Tyson Cornell – had asked me to contribute to a, volu- uh, a volume called uh, Yes is the Answer. And it was an anthology, a literary anthology of stories that were centered on power, um, uh, progressive rock, so Prague. And I had written something that was obtusely about uh, the years when I was growing up, and uh, I was a progressive rock fan, but it was starting to become interested in punk and uh, new wave and stuff like that. And that was also a, a summer where I was, you know, learning about life. So I'd written this sort of <laughs> literary thing that jumped off from the Prague thing. And uh, after we did this thing, you know, other people were involved. Larry Karzuski, who, who just wrote uh, My Name is Dolomite. <laughs> Different people had written for that book. And it, I thought the idea was great to have a bunch of literary people sort of writing obtusely about a musical <laughs> genre rather than, rather than have it be just, you know, I'm a music journalist as well, so I know... You can write about journalism. You can get a bunch of like articles and stuff like that, and magazines are good for that. But what made these compilation different was it was literary, and you could go personal if you wanted to. You could also go off topic, just start with a topic, and just where does that take you? So I then go to Tyson afterwards, and I said, you know, one of my favorite subgenres is power pop, and it's also one of the most maligned and misunderstood, and a lot of bands who are power pop run from it, mm-hmm. uh, the term, and they don't like it because it ghettoizes a certain kind of music. <laughs> and so I said, how about, how about we write, we get a bunch of writers who want to do that and I'll help, you know, edit that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's sort of where we started. Although there's a lot more to the story if you don't mind me going on. <laughs> can, well, I, can I continue telling the story or do you want to ask me another question? No, go for there's it. Longer, I love it. There's a longer version. So I, we got really lucky really early because the idea was to have literary and maybe not necessarily known for writing about music, uh, either musicians or authors. And, and um, I, I found out that my neighbor here in Berkeley is Michael Chabon, who is you know, a great <laughs> author and he's currently writing and producing the new Star Trek series that's about to come out. Yeah. Uh, he is a, an incredibly celebrated and man of letters also a huge power pop fan. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say that I thought I was the biggest power pop fan. He knows stuff that I don't know. <laughs> and he had written an essay. He had written an essay about Big Star and essentially about what the power pop condition was. And I thought, this is our model. Let's get let's get as many of these guys. And at this point it's just me mm-hmm. trying to get this together and with Tyson telling him I'm not having any luck finding anyone as good as Michael Chabon because that's such a rare thing. Like I asked all these authors, like famous authors that tried to reach their agents and it wasn't happening. So I got a little bit like discouraged. So 
I go off and I write another book. I, I wrote a book about the Canadian comedy troupe, The Kids in the Hall, called One Dumb Guy. And it, <laughs> it's actually took up my whole year, and it was really fun. And it did really well for what it is. And it's, I was really busy. But then in the middle of that project, um, Tyson comes back to me and says, hey, uh, Steve S.W. Laden wants to do this uh, book as well. And it's the same idea, practically. So why don't you guys hook up and maybe... His energy and your energy will help push this thing over the finish line. And that's exactly what happened. And so that's how I've never met Steve in person, but we talked on the <laughs> phone quite a bit. Right. And um, and and so that's what happens. And he brought he brought his crew of people that he was compiling and I brought my crew. and We all sort of talked about whether certain topics were going to work and whether certain essays were going to be, you know, needed to be edited because we had like a 2000, roughly 2000 to 2500 word count. Mm-hmm. sort of idea and some people had 7000 words and they were great but we wanted to be fair so we had to you know we had to tell certain people like it would be great if you could just take out a you know a third of your thing you know? <laughs> but anyway so we so that's what happened so because Steve and I got together and that's where I think Tyson should be thanked because he had the sense <laughs> he had the sense to sort of like and that's what a good you know publisher does and a right. good uh uh, you know, it's a good producer in any kind of thing is the person who knows how to hook up the people that could help bring it over the finish line. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, that actually ties into one of my other questions was I hadn't I didn't know that you hadn't met Steve beforehand. Um, so I was going to ask how you guys came to be. But of course, it's Tyson, because that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I then, look forward to meeting him someday. <laughs> you still haven't met him? I didn't know that. Oh, that's hilarious! Well, no, I was actually in when you got when they had a book launch down in Los Angeles. Right, I happened to be in Joshua Tree on oh, a kind gosh. of a retreat. Right, and I I thought I thought should I drive in from this retreat in the middle of the most beautiful scenery in the world, <laughs> and you know enjoying watching you know wild bunny rabbits run through cactuses. And yeah. I thought no, no, I can meet him another time. Yeah, that's... wild bunnies will always take. You know, that's Precedence. my next book is about wild bunnies. So I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding about that. But yeah. <laughs> um, so then how did you, you were telling me about how you uh, are kind of inspired by Yes is the Answer, which was a collection that was edited by Tyson and Mark Weingarten. Um, that's right. How did you, uh, why did you choose to be only editors instead of co-authors? So you were talking about how every, some anybody can get articles together and write just a book. What do you oh, think? Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think because Tyson had done this compilation before and I had contributed to it, and I, I realized how easy it was in a sense, relatively easy, for one person to just submit one story. And also you do get a, a, a wonderful sort of Whitman sampler uh, or an advent calendar <laughs> or whatever, you get, a, you get a, a wild selection of takes on it. And I, I, I did write one. I actually, there was a point where I thought maybe I shouldn't write one, but I decided that what was missing was a, a story about Canadian power pop. And being from Toronto, I wrote about Sloan, Sloan. who are, um, they, you know, like a lot of bands, they reluctantly would be labeled as a power pop band, but they agreed, <laughs> two of the members anyway, agreed that they that they have all the, all the uh, hallmarks of a, of a power pop band with other things. They have a bit of metal in them as well. <laughs> but they're an aggressive, you know, melodic, hooky band with big guitars, and they mm-hmm. fit the genre for me. So I wrote about them as a way of sort of writing about another personal experience of mine, having been in bands that uh, were in Toronto at the time when Sloan arrived from Halifax. And so right. I thought, 
I, I've all and they're my friends now, and I felt like <laughs> giving them a little tribute. I felt like writing a tribute to this band that I think is really important, and they do get sort of narrow cast, and they're you know forever going to be kind of a cult band. But with <laughs> ask anyone who's a fan, and they they love them. So of course. so that's why I wrote one story for it, and I wrote the intro with Steve because I right. felt like I felt like I wanted to make my statement, and also because Michael Chabon's essay. Said much of what I would have said, and frankly, he's Michael Chabon, and he said it. Right. So I'm, I'm going to let him say it. Um, yeah, that makes and sense. And I was so honored to have him, and so that's kind of why I I took um sort of a more editorial role. That's awesome. So if so, you wrote about Sloan because they're a Toronto band, and it kind of like ties into um the story, and it brings in this band that you that is important and that does see a certain side of power pop if you didn't write about sloan what would you have who would you have written about well this is actually interesting because for a long time i've been cooking up an idea about the group jellyfish Uh, (laughs) and uh and and jellyfish are you know were i guess a band from los angeles well originally from san francisco it's a long story but they they (laughs) were this band that kind of created um they took the 70s idea of over the top studio rock as well as all the the hallmarks of you know traditional power pop things and chamber pop things. And they were such an anomaly. Like they were mainstream. They were a little bit grungy at times. No, I would never <laughs> say that they would be called grunge, but they came in, they came in on that wave of when long hair was back in fashion in the early nineties. <laughs> and, and they were, they were a little bit seventies, uh, mm. quite a bit seventies. And they had Brian Wilson and gel and uh, queen type harmonies and, and mm. as well as beetle hooks and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And I thought I would love to write about them. But then I remembered that my friend Annie Zaleski from right. Cleveland, uh-huh. who's an incredible journalist, yes. and uh, she she's been she'd written for people like Salon and um, uh, others. Uh, I'm not sure who, but different people. And she's mm-hmm. a great writer. And I she understood. She's in them, you know, up there in Cleveland, so she gets that sort of Midwest aspect mm-hmm. to power pop. And she had some thoughts that I'd seen online about jellyfish, and I thought as long as I as long as I'm bringing in people, uh, I, I, I want to bring in Annie to do that one. <laughs> so I, I called her and I said, Annie, I would be honored if you could contribute uh, a piece on jellyfish. And she totally nailed it. Like she knocked it out of the park. Right. I think I, I think I had her. No, she might be one of the ones that I didn't even change a word because she's so good at she knew the deadline and the number word count. She took it seriously. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure she worked really hard on it, but it just seemed to come naturally like as soon as we needed it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the best writer is makes it look like it just fell out. Yeah. And she's she's great. And can I just say that that was another thing that I really wanted to do in this book. And Steve and I and Tyson, we're all on the same page, was when you think power pop, I know different than most people. You think. 16-year-old men, boys, and it's a boys' club. And I said to myself, okay, I don't think the world needs another, and frankly, a lot of middle-aged men like me. <laughs> the world doesn't need to hear just the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to hear, and I, I did extend an outreach to uh, quite a few female writers, and I was really happy that we brought in some lady writers because there was there was a voice I wanted to hear in the case of Carrie Courgen, and um she wrote about Liz Fair's mm-hmm. 19, uh, 2000 and uh, whatever year was it? it? The one that was the eponymous album that kind of got slammed by the critics, but it was had one of the most power pop songs in the world, Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I was glad that this younger woman 
uh, from a frankly a different era than mine, even though we're all living at the same time. <laughs> I, I I felt like, oh great, I want to hear what she's thinking and how she sees this, and also like the role of like what a significant representation of women feels like to uh, people who are uh, digging music today. Right. So I was really excited to bring her in. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, I did actually. Uh, the only thing I think you know the uh, you know the old uh, thing they say about the Academy Awards, Oscars so white. <laughs> really, find, I really tried to find uh, anybody from a different kind of white, uh, non-white cultural background. Um, you know, there's various uh, very prominent people that I asked who, uh, you know, frankly, were really busy. And one of them, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say their name, but one of the like Questlove, I can say it because Questlove, the you mm-hmm. know, the drummer from the Roots, and yeah. he got back to me immediately because he had done an album where he did a he kind of played on and helped put together an album of squeeze covers mm. and i thought oh my god this guy gets it like like press love known for hip-hop known for playing with a lot of r&b things and and you know african-american sort of traditionally african-american vibes but he's a music guy and he knew what good power pop was and he and i said it'd be so great if you wrote something and he said yeah i think i'll do it course he's quest love and he's doing eighty seven thousand oh, things of course and you end up it takes a while to get him back and he's right. got four of his own books going so so i mean if there's a volume two i'm still waiting for quest love because i mean i would love <laughs> to hear what and, I, and that, that extends to all kinds of like i'd love to hear if there's latino power pop i'd love to hear if there's you know uh oh there's a whole area of asian power pop that we i don't think we really got to that right like, some amazing japanese groups that i know um, and, uh, um, you know, I saw one on the streets of Tokyo once that was just out and out, like if jellyfish meets the, you know, um, the knack <laughs> and this was in 2015. Like, Oof. I mean, so depends. Uh, uh, anyway, so that's my point. I want, I'd like to break out of, if we ever do another edition, I would like to break out of the, um, you know, I'd like to get some more different representation because I think that's what makes it interesting. Anyway, right. I, got, I got long on that. I got long. I'm not running for office here. I'm just making a, an answer. <laughs> You're good. We have no time frame, really. Um, so I am a little bit out of touch when it comes to power pop. So I'm I I'm familiar with your collection and I see names in your collection that I recognize, but I don't really know how would you how you define power pop. So how, tell me, how would you define it? Like, what makes something okay, so power for, pop? Yeah, for me, and I, I recognize this is kind of a subjective thing, and that's the other reason we have so many different voices. <laughs> but for me, for me, power pop was, the first time I recognized that I like power pop was listening to things like uh, uh, 70s things, like Girl of My Dreams by Bram Tchaikovsky or mm-hmm. something by The Motors. Uh, to some extent, a song like She Said, She Said by the Beatles felt like power pop to me. Oh, okay. Uh, Pictures of Lily by the Who felt like power pop. And, uh, of course, uh, Go All the Way by the Raspberries right. and Bad Pictures No Matter What. And what typified all those, what seemed to link all these together was that they were kind of uh, harmonies from another, like from an area before them. They had 70s guitar sounds and sort of that. And this is, by the way, this is my initial narrow description of power pop. Mm-hmm. But it was euphoria. It was about a kind of um, sexual but in a kind of innocent way. It was young discovery of the excitement of staying out all night kind of thing. And what made them work was, like I said, there's the, the hallmarks of there's usually a massive harmony section in them of vocals like doing really cool like, you know, ahs and oohs or whatever. There's a bunch of crunchy guitars usually in in the power <laughs> pop song. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bu- there's usually kind of an insistent what I call midwestern drum beat. So like 
like think funny Carlos of Cheap Trick, <laughs> um, okay, okay. you know, that sort of thing. And to me, it always seemed really bristling with a kind of uh, almost naive exuberance. And so that basic idea can be transmuted through different generations. So even stuff, some stuff by Blink-182 could have been qualified as power pop even that. though they might not have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And then one thing I, I haven't heard really off the top of my head would be sort of a hip hop version of power pop, but uh, I'd love to hear it. Uh, that's super uh, interesting. But I, I, I think that the, that's where you start to get into this thing of maybe it is just like a specific era sound the same way rockabilly was to so okay. there's you're not going to you're not going to go too far from a certain thing within rockabilly and you, you know uh it's probably not as much of a transmuting genre and, and uh, re, you know, reinventing genre as it as it could be it might just be like reggae you know like mm -hmm. there's reggae basically and you know there's various ways to record reggae but it's still going to be the same you know right you know and so power pops Power Pop's probably always going to have, duh, 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 on, you know, like so some ELO <laughs> qualifies as Power Pop to me. Some Blondie right. qualifies as Power Pop to right. me. And I think I think bands can dip their toe in Power Pop and not necessarily be full-time Power Pop bands. Yeah, temporary. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, XTC can be Power Pop, but at the same time, they can be pastoral folk. So the, <laughs> so I think, I, I hope I'm doing it justice. To me, it's the, it's the euphoria and it's the naive sexual excitement. You know, I think that's mm. probably... You know, I hope that's enough. But, um, but I'm... you know, and then, then and then it's a lot of arguing, basically, because a, <laughs> a lot of what power pop is is nerds arguing. So right. That's, that's the other aspect. So it's really funny. I, w I have a lot of musician friends and a lot of people who have a very traditional, like, uh, classical training in music. Um, so I went and I had a whole conversation with a friend of mine who plays the trumpet avidly. And he he was trying to explain it to me about what power pop is versus what like a pop punk was and nothing right. about it made sense. <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, yeah. so it, so I mean, you're the editor of this book, obviously you, you know, you have ideas. Um, but then I list, I did a recently did a podcast with, um, Marco DeSantis and Kurt Baker. I produced, uh, I produced that and they right. got into some very interesting points about, uh, different generations of power pop and how yes. um, how there are bands like like the Winnetka Bowling League, uh, which is a Matthew Coma's band. And they're a relatively recent, relatively new band that are just creating a different generation of um, of music. What would you say to that concept of there being um earlier like pre-2000 um power pop versus like post-2018 power pop well i first i would say uh viva la you know viva la generational shift i mean it, <laughs> uh, i think i think uh like i said it, within the idea that there's probably a limited number of ways to fold this suit without it becoming a different suit entirely mm -hmm. so that's uh by that i mean you can reinvent the relevance of a genre. So, so for instance, the Stray Cats, to use the rockabilly comparison, the Stray Cats were a, uh, uh, I guess we'll call it a 70s, 80s uh, version of a 1950s thing. Mm -hmm. so, they, so if you based your band on, um, or, if you, uh, or some of the bands that came out in the sort of, um, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, sorry, uh, 
the 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 hellbilly guy, uh, the you know the L.A. Rob Zombie. So Rob uh, Zombie yes. sometimes incorporated rock and roll elements in his sort of straight ahead post indie industrial sort of you know thing. And so if that was your version of what rock and roll was, you would probably be thinking you'd be surprised by Elvis Presley's "That's All Right, Mama" because that's rock and roll too, but it doesn't sound anything like Rob Zombie. So I think that if power pop was reinventing itself in the sense of uh, some all-American reject songs, or like I said, Blink-182, or, you know, these bands who I didn't necessarily like, by the way, at the time. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, but at the same time, I recognize what they're doing. In fact, one of the fun things I do now is I, I hear stuff and go, like uh, 38 Special from the 70s. Uh, that band, I thought they were like a Skinnerd band when I first heard them. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they were kind of, I thought they were going to be, and that's fine, you know, Southern Boogie Rock, whatever. Right. But then I heard like, recently I heard some of their songs again and I went, my God, they were totally power pop. They could have mm-hmm. been a British new wave band. And mm-hmm. you look at them and they're, they look like truckers. But I mean, <laughs> so there's that thing about reinvention that happens every so often, almost accidentally. Mm-hmm. And sorry if I'm, I'm making these long answers, but nope, it brings it. me back to the Japanese thing. The Japanese thing is fascinating to me because you take, like, they've always had a very sort of uh, non-judgmental boy band culture and girl bands, but right. the idea of, of the cuteness being part of the gig. And so they're very glossy on the top. But when you listen to what they're doing underneath, the music sometimes is as, you know, cool and interesting as on certain bands. This is all very band to band. There's no generalization here, mm-hmm. but there's there's definitely a sense of what I like about power pop coming out of these bands from Japan that are essentially boy bands, mm-hmm. and some of the British boy bands like uh, uh, I heard a One Direction song that could have been considered power pop, and and so I think that sometimes you hear it and they don't even know, but mm-hmm. they're they're stumbling into it. Like they go, isn't this exciting? I've written a song that has an eighth note bass, big harmonies and crunchy guitars. And yeah, man, you just invented power pop, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so, so I, I don't know if I like this idea that we can reinvent. I also like the idea that like something like guided by voices could be power pop, mm-hmm. even though it's not glossy. So like the thing I like maybe is about the gloss of like the raspberries, right. you know, um, but the thing, the thing I realized when I listened to Guided by Voices is it can be naive, and, and I say naive in a complimentary way. <laughs> it can be like handmade sounding and uh, rough hewn and still have the essential buzz. That's something that Michael Chabon actually reminded me of because he was talking, we were talking privately about, about Guided by Voices, and I said, I said that I'd had a hard time getting into them at first because everyone said I should, and then I didn't know what was up and down. He said that's what I like about them. And he said that what's cool is that they're they're kind of building their own version of it without trying to emulate anyone else, which is uh, paraphrasing what he actually said, which was way more eloquent. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, but so so to answer your question again from a long, long because I don't do anything short. Sorry, nothing wrong with that. That is what I like about that's what I like about the idea of a living genre mm-hmm. is that you can reinvent, you know, and that mm-hmm. also. Um, hearing how women interpret it, like some of the great bands like the Mutts, who aren't, I don't think, written, unless someone mentioned them tangentially, if we do a second version, I would love to have someone write up a great tribute to Kim Shattuck, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's there's a whole way that, you know, and and some Courtney Love, frankly, is power pop, even though I don't know if she would call it that. Right. You know, like, and and I, I feel like there would be, uh, you know, there's definitely, you know, bangles and go-go's, of course. I mean, we do have a thing about women in here, uh, ironically written by a man, uh, <laughs> but a man who knows the subject, right. a man who knew the subject. So I think that that's cool. 
But, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's an area too. So the reinvention could come uh, from a different uh, genre than the traditional old guys thing, you know. I say this as an old guy. I mean, <laughs> I, I just like to hear, I like to hear good stuff. Right. I, the good stuff comes from all places. And frankly, right now, a lot of great energy is coming from women. So let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that actually leads me into a different question. Um, would you say that power pop is a genre that is attributed by listeners versus by the actual musicians? Uh, do you mean it's defined by the listeners? Yeah. Like, would yeah, you? I, 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 Go well, ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say that I would say that that's getting back to my initial definition of power pop, which was it's in the eye of the beholder, you mm-hmm. know, uh, ear of the beholder. And uh, actually, I, I'm going to open up to the very first thing I wrote uh, in the book. I'm going to read it, read out loud, frankly. Um, Let's do it. I said, uh, for me, explaining the meaning of power pop is a little like explaining what love is. You know it when you feel it, but damn if it's not different for everyone who experiences it. And that that was my way of sort of saying there is going to always be uh, uh, a, dis- a disagreement or healthy discussion, if you will, mm-hmm. um, about w- just what is and what isn't power pop. And I will an- add the perfect example of this comes from some of the mentions we get on social media from power pop people mostly dudes who uh, <laughs> complain about, um, you know, some of the things we included in this, you know, okay. some of the way like cheap trick isn't pop, pop, power pop. They're like, you know, Midwestern uh, commercial rock or whatever. And, or, you know, cheap tricks metal. And like, no, they're not, but you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and, and people are arguing about what we included. Uh, and, and I say Viva conversation, you know, I mean, it's, that's kind of what we did. And I said in the intro also somewhere mm-hmm. else in the intro, I said, this isn't the definitive anything. And, you know, and, and like, like beware those who tell you that they figured everything out. Uh, we're, we were interested in making a book that discusses the, the, what happens when we start at that genre or subgenre, frankly, mm-hmm. and then what happens to the listener and to the people who experience the music, because to me, that's what's interesting about music. Music is there for everybody Different people hear it. They pick it up like a radio antenna, mm-hmm. and then they 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 have a different. It's a mirror, you know. Music's a mirror. You hear something. People get tribal sometimes about what they hear. They go, "I only like hip hop from now on because you know hip hop was the music that I fell in love with." Right. And and then other people say, "I only like metal because metal to me is what rock and roll is all about." And you hear that, and you go, "Wow, they got tribal based on hearing something," and that says to me that music has a huge amount of potential for misinterpretation or just broad interpretation. Anyway, I don't know misinterpretation. I don't want to judge it, but you know. Uh, but I, but so I understand what you... Long answer. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I also talk a lot, so we're fine. Um, I find that to be super interesting because that could be true about any kind of art, about the what the uh, creator what their intentions were versus how it's received or perceived by the people who are listening or watching or seeing a lot of that happens in, um, in all kinds of writing as well. Uh, I think it was the last episode or two episodes ago of the publicist speaks where we were talking about poetry and how poetry is really takes meaning when it's being read versus, 
um, what the actual intention was. So I'm finding it really interesting that that's the same kind of thing that you're saying about power pop, where you know it's power pop when you hear it, but it could my version of what power pop is isn't in in isn't necessarily everybody's version of what power pop is. So then, what was the first band or artist that you can remember where you said this is power pop? Um, I, I like I said, I think it was probably Bad Fingers' song, No Matter What. Okay. And it, 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 and then, and then, and then I started to realize that it, that that song had elements that I had responded to in other songs. And then I, I think I was reading Ira Robbins' magazine, Trouser Press, which was a great, and you know, was a very formative magazine for me because Trouser Press had a lot of great writing about and uh, you know what they started identifying as power pop coming out of New York and uh, Britain. And, and I think it was just around the time post punk and things like I started to realize, Oh, the raspberries aren't part of punk rock, but I liked go all the way. And I realized that that, that song has the same thing I liked about girl of my dreams or the same thing I like uh, by the, by, you know, or songs by the motors, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and the songs by um, I'm trying to dig back here. Oh, <laughs> what I liked about Surrender by Cheap Trick, you know. Right. And I realized that oh, I see. So these things are I can call these power pop. Probably Ira Robbins was the writer who first hit me to the term. <laughs> and okay. I remember and I remember thinking, oh my God, I like Badfinger, but I thought it was because I liked the Beatles, which it probably was. But but <laughs> but what I really liked was that they were also representing a kind of. Uh, urgency that, you know, not all Beatles songs had that thing. So they had taken it and run with it into like, you know, uh, this sort of euphoric thing that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So I, I so I think that that's probably where I first started to become aware of it. And then I wrote a song called Date with Destiny when I was in a band called the Space Invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, we named ourselves the Space Invaders before Chrissy Hind wrote a song called Space Invaders. So <laughs> um, it was it was just uh, a video game that had Here's how old I am. Yeah. It had just come out, the game Space Invaders. <laughs> and uh, so we, we thought, how funny to name name yourself after an arcade game. Because right. it wasn't of even course. home games in those days. Of course. And, and so <laughs> that's hilarious. We'll name ourselves Space Invaders. And then, of course, that became one of the most unique games, I mean, popular games of the time. Right. And, you know, there was probably other bands called Space Invaders around the world. So, But I wrote this song called Date with Destiny. And I remember describing to the guys in my, actually it was a lady in my band, too. And I described it to the, the fellow players as I said, it's kind of a power pop thing and it has this guitar riff and then this big explosive chorus, you know, like uh, some dumb rhyme. Like I said, uh, I, I said, I know heaven can wait, but I'm going on a date with destiny. It was like and destiny's the girl in the song. So it's mm-hmm. like a stupid, stupid 1960s idea, even though it's right. like late 70s, probably 1981. Um, and anyway. Anyway, so I remember being very aware that I was now writing a song that I called Power Pop, and that was kind of important to me at the time. That's super interesting. So do you think that when you started to recognize Power Pop that you would go back to music that you had already listened to previously and be like, oh, that's also Power Pop, and like kind of connect dots now that you had a definition for it or a, a word for it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. I think I think I started to realize that, you know, um, as time went on, I went like, oh, Earn Enough for Us by XTC is a power pop song to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then when Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend album came out in 1993 or two or something, mm-hmm. I remember saying to someone, I said, oh, my God, that is like 
like there's elements on this album that are totally power pop. Like the song Girlfriend is is to me power pop, even though it's not the straight straight ahead beat that the other ones were. But, you know, um, you know, uh, a lot of Matthew Sweet stuff to me, like Sick of Myself was a power pop song, even though it probably was presented as a post grungy because that was the time I remember everyone said everything was grunge. I mean, that was just a word that they used for mm-hmm. any time the guitars were loud. Yeah. The guitars were turned up or, or fuzz boxed. Uh, you know, anytime you saw anyone with a, a, a non Fender guitar, like a Les Paul, it was probably like Pearl Jam or something. And they just said, well, they're grunge. See, <laughs> and that's it. They're grunge. You know, because all these words, that's the other thing about genres, man. Ah. All these words are just constructs to, uh, to sort of label things. I say this as a person who just co-edited a, a compilation about a subgenre, but I'm also recognizing that if we're going to go with that label, then let's look at the broad use of that term. You know, right. And what you learn, I think, by reading this book go all the way, is that genres can be kind of misleading. Like, <laughs> things, things mutate. You know? and, and again, I, I, I say I'm, all for, I'm there for it, man. Like, just mutate. Like Beck... Beck was a great example of an artist. He's not power pop, and I don't mm-hmm. think he even does anything that would be conce- conceived as power pop. But what I liked about him as just as an artist, and I continue to like about him, is that he started out with a, a big single loser that was hip-hop-inspired, but also beat poetry and like rock and roll, and he didn't sort of play with any specific style mm-hmm. and came out, of that, came out of the slacker sort of alternative world and yet he can, also, he can also make an album like Sea Change or an album like, you know, Colors. And he can make different styles and he's not sticking to one thing. And but they're all very Beck, you know, right. and that's that's what a good artist does, I think. You know, the Beatles changed every album. Oh, for sure. They made a few albums. And the Beatles were like, and if, if, if there's one model that I keep coming back to in my life, it's the Beatles. I mean, you don't have to sound like the Beatles, but you should at least be inspired, inspired by, the fact by them. Inspired by them. Yeah. Yeah. So one of your uh, sto- one of the stories in this book is actually about uh, it's called what was it called? Hold on, let me find it. It says "Power Pop as a Beatles Obsession" by Jeff Whalen. Um, is that where? Uh, how much do you think that the Beatles influenced power pop as a genre altogether? I, I think that I think that you're going to find. If you do uh, drug testing on any power pop song, you're going to find significant traces of Beatlemania in there. Um, <laughs> there's, there's definitely, like I said, if you use "She Said, She Said" from uh, Revolver as, um, as a kind of a, a, a kind of a one element, there's, there's a lot of uh, the harmonies that come from, you know, a song like uh, "Good Morning" by the Beatles, you know, like mm-hmm. where. Or any time, but like, or uh, Lady Madonna or uh, Paperback Writer, uh, you know, the, which of course means there's also elements of the Beach Boys, but because um, the harmony thing definitely, you know, was a give and take between uh, mostly McCartney and Brian Wilson, um, but all the Beatles had harmonies, and uh, I think that that makes it a core element. I think uh, so. I think that in a lot of also in a lot of um, sort of chord changes, there's a lot of like big sort of suspensions. I don't, I don't, I'm actually not that musically uh, literate. I, I know it from playing it and writing it, but what they call suspensions sort of like the, there's like a thing that's just like a chord on a chord and the bass changes underneath that same chord and it creates a whole new vibe. 
And then there's a lot of like major to minor shifting and things like that, sort of little traces of what they used to call Tin Pan Alley sort of song craft comes into power pop. But at the same time, it's usually sort of filtered through a straight ahead sort of rock and drums thing. Crunchy guitars, big drums, straight ahead drums. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, so like uh, the, so the Beatles were are more of the melodic informa- information mm-hmm. and sometimes the subject matter. Sometimes, you know, it's hard because think of a million contradictory arguments. But I know that the harmony thing and the chord sophistication, melodic sensibility is definitely something that goes throughout all of the power pop. And that seems to come from a lot of like 64 to 67 Beatles, the eight even, you know. Mm-hmm. By then, the Beatles weren't even sounding like the Beatles. Then you're getting into White Album, Let It Be, Abbey Road. Uh, by Abbey Road, I think they weren't really doing anything that was sort of jangly, you know? The jangle is a big part of it. The jangle guitar is another thing. So that's when one string is open on the, uh, usually an E string or something, and you just play a big chord that has lots of resonating open strings in it. And mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, REM has elements of that. Uh, Peter Buck uh, was very jangly. So that took that through the 90s. And, of course, Johnny Marr in the Smiths. So while, while, while R.E.M. were doing it in America, Johnny Marr was uh, creating a certain version of that jangle in uh, Britain. So. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Exciting. Just, just to say, say these people's names gets me excited. I know. It's all exciting I, I, to I, talk I'm about. I'm on a kick right now where I'm, I, I can't stop talking about Johnny Marr, actually. So I feel, I feel like Johnny Marr is like one of the greatest uh, uh, guitar players of the uh, 20s. 21st century or the 20th and 21st he seems to span span the whole thing but i i just kind of went gaga for johnny marr recently i have yeah. always liked him but then recently i started thinking about if anyone's been kind of a late influence in me as a guitar player it's like i want to be like johnny <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for being here with me today paul that is this is something that i actually don't know a whole lot about so i feel like i learned a lot today Thank you for teaching me about power pop. I will look for the euphoria the next time I hear something that might be power pop related. Oh, I appreciate that. And again, I I, I know I apologize, but I I had so much to say about it that no, the of course. answers are never short. I'll have to bring uh, you back. The are not short. I'll have to bring you back. Maybe I'll get Steve in here, um, and we can do a three the three of us talk together. Maybe later on this. Uh, season of the publicist speaks i think that that would be really interesting oh i'd love to especially uh if um there's a lot of good feedback about the first edition so maybe there'll be a second one and then we can come talk about more of it oh i would love that that would be wonderful well thank you so much for being here with me today thank you jessica i'm excited i'm excited for the book i'm excited to see how power pop lives on and grows into the next generation I also want to go ahead and thank Andrew over there behind the glass. Thank you for doing all of the soundy things. Um, This has been The Publicist Speaks. I'm Jessica, the podcast guru. At least that's what I like to think about myself. Bye.